have to make a confession as we get started this morning. Um, in our first service, Justin, who's done a did a fantastic job leading worship, didn't y'all agree? And just so appreciate his heart for the Lord, and he does a fantastic job leading our student ministry. And uh, if you have a student between sixth grade and twelfth grade, you need to tie them up and bring them to church tonight. Does that sound good? At six o'clock, it is awesome. I'm so blessed. To, uh, he he mentors my children, and so thankful for that. Um, and uh, this morning in the service, he kept saying, "Tonight, Lord. Tonight, Lord. Tonight, Lord." And so I made fun of him, and then I just prayed, Lord, thank you for tonight. And uh, so it comes around, right, Justin? And uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, guys, take your Bible this morning, First Peter. We're going to be in First Peter towards the end of your New Testament. We start a journey this morning that I am stoked about. One of my favorite, if not my favorite book in Scripture. Uh, as we begin to journey through that for the next 10 to 12 weeks, we are going to be dealing with majestic, magnificent application for you, for me, and as I prayed through this and as we begin to pray through what we would teach about in January and February, um, First Peter is obvious because of the application of where we are individually, um, and you'll see that this morning because he's writing to a very interesting audience. So as you turn there, uh, begin to get ready. Uh, we're only going to deal with two verses this morning. There is a lot in these two verses. Honestly, we could spend a month in verse 1 and 2. But most of this is going to be introduction. Uh, it's going to be deep. We're not going to scratch the surface. We're going to plunge right into the deep end. Are you all ready for that? And I think when you begin to investigate the depths of Scripture, the depths of God, you begin to make serious application, and that begins to propel you forward. And so get your waders on. Y'all with me on that this morning? Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, in total transparency, and I want to ask you to be transparent with me as well, how many of you have ever signed up for a gym membership in January? Just raise your hand. Just be honest. Come on. I know half of y'all are lying. All right. So, and you're in church, so bad things are going to happen to you today if you lie. I'm just kidding. That doesn't work, maybe. All right. So, all right. Second thing, how many of you have signed up for a gym membership and then totally, totally did it great for a couple weeks and then it just completely fell off the wagon? Y'all ever done that before? Any of you guys? All right. Every Monday morning, I make a commitment to work out. And I've done that for the last 30 years. Um, and, and most of the time, I don't follow through. I've tried to make a commitment since about April to work out, maybe, maybe actually since last February, to work out on a consistent basis. Had some gaps there. Had the summertime. You, know, you can't work out in the summer, right? If you don't have a beach body, don't work for it. You know what I mean? And so I just don't go to the beach. And uh, the other thing is from Thanksgiving to Christmas, really struggle with working out. Uh, you know, turkey and casseroles called me, and I answered. And, uh, and so it didn't work out then. Uh, but I started getting more in the habit right after Christmas and into the new year. And one of the things I found about working out, and I think this is everything in life, and many of you guys who work out, is, uh, is you've got to have accountability, right? You need to have somebody there pushing you. And so I have learned that I'm not a person who's going to go to the weight room and run on, those, run on those machines like a hamster. I'm not a muscle head. I'm not going to push weight around. I just don't care that much. You know what I mean? And I don't have enough motivation. So I need somebody with me to push me to do it, not only as an accountability partner, but as like trainers and things like that. i got to have that or I'm not going to do it. Um, this past week, um, a buddy of mine, we started holding each other accountable. i got several guys, some of you in the church that hold me accountable, and we text each other, and when we don't go, we make fun of each other. But uh, a buddy of mine uh, who's new to working out this year, he hadn't worked out in two years, we decided we're going to start working out together more and holding each other accountable. And, man, we had an incredible workout Thursday afternoon. I mean, we went in there. Guys, I'm still sore. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I don't believe in getting sore. I just want you to know. I think that's unbiblical. Uh, 
and, but uh, I'm still sore from that. He's still sore from that, and we made a commitment when we left that gym that evening. I said, man, tomorrow morning, first thing, we're going to be back here, and we're going to work out again. Now, some of you make fun of me on this, but I love spin class. Uh, I know it's like me and 18 girls sitting in the room. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I love it, and I always win. Um, and, and I don't know why. I know why. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, we made that commitment. We we're going to be at spin class the next week. And by the way, I just want to share with you about working out. And I got plenty of time. I mean, it, it, it's not something I like to go and push myself. I just want to be in shape and not have a heart attack and lose some weight. Y'all with me on that? The other day, I was in there with one of my trainers, and we're doing squats. Y'all know what squats are? You put the bar on your on your back and you squat down, which I think's wrong. I'm 42. There's no purpose in this for me. You know what I mean? And so I'm doing squats, and she's screaming at me, you get lower, you get lower, you lift more weight. You get. I just finally dropped the weight. I said, listen, I'm 42. This is all you're going to get from me. Can I do more? Yes. Am I going to do more? No. I like being able to get out of bed in the morning and not have my body say stop, number one, right? I like sitting down in the chair and not having to have somebody pull me out. You know what I mean? And You're with me on that, praise the Lord. And so all that... You know, and, and I finally said, and I'm not going to go any further, and you better tell me I'm doing a good job because I'm paying you. And she just looked at me, and I looked at her, and that's how we're going to roll, right? And she goes, I guess so. And so we worked out. So the other day, I'm supposed to go work out with my buddy, and we're holding each other accountable, and it's one of those mornings, you get up at 6, 6.30, you know, and you're sitting there, and it's like, man, I do not want to go. Everything within me says don't go to the gym, right? It's cold outside. You'd like to take another nap. You want another cup of coffee. You want to go eat something really heavy for breakfast. All that stuff is happening. And I'm like, I just don't want to go. And then God answered my prayer. My buddy texted me. He says, man, I don't think we should go this morning. My response is like, I believe you're right. His response back, no, we should go. My response is, no, we'll get in the routine next week. You never start on a Thursday, right? Yeah, you're right. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to take a nap. What are you going to do? He takes a picture of him taking a nap. I mean, it's just... Isn't that how the world is, though? When you're trying to move forward, when you're trying to progress spiritually, everything pulls you backward, right? Have y'all ever struggled with your spiritual growth? Because circumstance, people, temptation seem to get in your way, right? The issue is we need to find a way to fortify ourselves. Fortify our faith that when those temptations call, when the laziness calls, when you don't want to get out of bed, when you don't want to struggle through something that's difficult, spiritually speaking, you move past it. First Peter is all about fortification, people. It's all about fortifying your faith when times are difficult. Because I want to share something with you this morning. If you're walking or attempting to walk the Christian life, it's hard. Why? Because you're swimming upstream. We have habits in place. We have issues in place. We have temptation in place. We have bad influence in place. And everything about it is hard. Now, it's joyous. It's good. It's profound. It's God working. There's hope. There's peace. There's, there's all that stuff, man. But there are going to be times. There are going to be years. There are going to be months. There are going to be days. There are going to be hours when it's difficult. And that's when your fortification of faith has to become a priority in your life. Everything about First Peter is about fortifying your faith. Now, let's open up the Bible this morning Go to chapter 1. Let's go to verse 1. Like I said, we're going to be at two verses this morning. We'll knock out bigger chunks as we go along, but you really need to understand where Peter's coming from. Now, notice what happens. Let's just get the first, let's get the first five or six words, okay? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, stop here. Now, the book of Peter was written by who? 
Oh, y'all got to say that with confidence, okay? Look, the name of the book is Peter, all right? So let's just kind of say it again. The book of Peter was written by who? Peter, very good. And it's not Peter Piper, all right? This is Simon Peter. This is one of Jesus' disciples. If you go all the way back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find out about Simon Peter. He was a fisherman. He was the second disciple that Jesus called to follow him. He was the oldest of all the 12 disciples. Later on, he became the leader of the church. And the thing about Peter that's so interesting and it relates to him, and I love, probably my favorite disciple, the thing I love about him, and he's so relatable, and he is a roughneck, blue-collar fisherman. He is a man's man. He is somebody that you and I could relate to in a lot of ways. He had a lot of struggles. He had a lot of issues. But he also received a lot of grace. I also like him because he and I share a common ailment. It's called foot and mouth disease. Y'all deal with that? You ever say something and your filter's broken? You ever impulsive about something and you wish you wouldn't have said it? You ever spoken something and you're like, oh, i got to catch that and hope nobody hears it? You ever tweeted something, put something on Facebook, emailed someone or sent one to somebody a bad text? You know what I'm talking about. He's that dude. In fact, he said something so profound and so insulting to Jesus Christ, Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Let me tell you something. If Jesus calls you Satan, that's a bad day, right? Everything about him. At the end of Christ's life, before he was crucified, Jesus was put on trial. Peter, bold, resilient, man's man, follows Christ to the place and denies him what? Three times. You remember that? He weeps, but yet at the end of John in chapter 21, Christ reinstates him and he says, feed my sheep. If you go from the book of John and immediately start reading the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2, Jesus rises from the dead. He's already done that and he ascends into heaven. After that, Peter and the rest of the disciples in that early first church were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up in the middle of Jerusalem and professes Jesus. 5,000 men, not including women and The children come to know Christ at that moment. That ain't bad for a redneck fisherman, right? And here's what's so obviously profound about this man. He's a guy that tasted grace, tasted disobedience, tasted reinstatement, and continued to taste grace and preach it, right? He's a guy that experienced the totality of the gospel. He's the guy that experienced and was able to write down the gospel and convey that to other people. In fact, three or four years after this book is written, the church endures a major persecution. The Roman emperor Nero wanted, and people think, he wanted a grander and more grandiose um, Rome, and so he set fire to Rome, and most of it burned down and blamed it on the Christians. And they were doing terrible atrocities to Christians and where they would put them on sticks or logs and smather them with oil and burn them in the middle of the cities. I mean, it was terrible. And during that persecution, Peter was killed for his faith. And as he was going to be crucified, he said, you do not kill me like my Christ. I don't deserve that. So they crucified him upside down. This is a man who taught and lived out what he believed. Unbelievable what he was able to do. And as he's writing this letter, he's writing, notice what happens here. Notice notice who he's writing to. It says, to to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout these provinces. And he lists several provinces. And he's writing to a group of people. Number one, it says God's elect means God's people, Christians. If you know Jesus, your title is an elect. Isn't that good? You're brought into the Lord. But these are elect exiles. Now, understand what's happening here. 
elect exiles that Peter is writing to are located in an area or really in the, in the region of what is now Asia Minor or present-day Turkey. Go back to high school geography. Some of you try to forget that, right? But I want you to take your brain there, Asia Minor, and all these churches are in different regions. It says Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. All those places are located clockwise around that region. And he's writing to these churches who are specifically Gentile, not Jewish. These churches knew what it meant to live a pagan lifestyle. They knew what it meant to live apart from God. And he's writing to these folks and he's encouraging them saying, when circumstance happens, when life is difficult, when you lose your faith, fortify it in the gospel. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, throw that up on the screen. That's the theme of the entire book says this, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. That's the theme of the whole book. When you're attempting to live for Christ, everything pulls backward on you, and your response, my response, the church's response, is to be faithful to God, trust Him, and do right. Isn't that simple? And everything outlined in this book is written to these folks who yet who aren't yet being persecuted now. I want you to understand that. There's a smell of persecution in the air. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, I want you to notice this. A few years later, notice what he says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you as though something strange were happening. You can smell it, right? You and I can too. It's tough. And to be an exile is not being, you, you've, you've left your country, you've been kicked out. That is one definition. This is more metaphorical. To be an exile means these folks knew Jesus and this is their temporary home because their citizenship's in heaven. You're an exile if you know Christ. I'm an exile because I know Jesus. And so how do we fortify our faith being exiles here? You follow me on that? What does that look like? And so the entirety of this book deals with specifics on how we do that. And as we drift through this text this morning, we're going to deal with two verses, like I said, and really going to really just find our base camp in chapter 1, verse 2, and begin to understand that in order for us to fortify our faith, we have to understand the source of our faith. Does that make sense? Now, I lived in New Orleans for several years. My wife and I went to school there. And one of the things about New Orleans and really that area of Louisiana is it's really defined by the Mississippi River. You, you Maybe you've crossed the Mississippi River. You've seen the Mississippi River. Uh, I've been able to cross it in different places, Memphis, Natchez, Vicksburg, Baton Rouge, things like that. But in New Orleans, everything is centered around it. In fact, you can stand on one side of the river, stand on the bank, and look across the other side, and it is a vast expanse. Y'all ever been there? It's huge. And what's really cool to me is that man has come in, we build these levees and dikes, and the water rises, and you can be standing at the bottom of this hill and look up, and a boat goes above you. It's crazy. And as you go travel further south from New Orleans, you get to the areas that would be the Mississippi Delta and that whole region where it goes in and opens up into the Gulf of Mexico, and there's this huge expanse. It's one of God's great creations. It's beautiful. But I was in New Orleans and I was kind of looking at what was going on there. I mean, there was a lot of traffic on the river, a lot of boat traffic on the river, a lot of people surrounding it, a lot of businesses on the river, a lot of trash, a lot of pollution, a lot of gasoline. And I was like, there's no way I'm jumping in that. You know what I'm talking about? But there was something they were doing in the city of New Orleans at the time to where they were trying to bottle Mississippi River water to drink. Now, I would say that's a bad idea, wouldn't you? I'll never forget watching the news. They all came together, and they began to get the Mississippi River water out of the river, 
purify it, pour it in, and they're standing around drinking this bottled water from the Mississippi River. Immediately, arms begin to grow out of their heads, but they said it tasted good. I didn't drink it. That was a joke. But I always wondered, as you go further north and find the source of the river, what it would look like. Sarah Beth, my wife, her uh, family's or her grandmother lives in Minneapolis, and a couple of years ago in Minneapolis got to see the Mississippi River there. And boats can't travel past a point called Coons Dam. And at that dam, beyond that, four hours north, you find the source, and it's a little state park in Minnesota. But what was interesting, it was narrow, it was fast-flowing, it was clean, and it was clear. What's my point? The closer you get to the source, the better you are. Does that make sense? And the whole point this morning is to understand our source. If we're going to fortify our faith, we have to come to terms to where it begins. And Peter does a fantastic job of outlining this. Notice what happens in chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Get this. So he's written about, okay, this is, let's go back to verse 1. Notice this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout all, out the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. I mean, this is how they wrote letters back then. Imagine if you did that today. Think about it. I mean, I, in grammar school, man, I learned like, dear such and such, and then you started, right? And then at the end, you put sincerely yours and your name. Even in, and now we do emails, and it's like, yo, what's going on? Or maybe you do a Facebook post or, or tweet, and you just add a couple of other things. Now we don't even spell words out, right? It's like C, the letter C, U, the letter U, and then later. I don't know that abbreviation. It's that kind of stuff. But in those days, man, there was, there was some eloquence to what they were writing here. And he's telling you who he is. He's telling you who he's writing to. Now, now, go back one more thing. We missed something here. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's identifying himself as a messenger of and the authority to give God's word. That's what an apostle is. Now, we use that word flippantly, but I want you to understand something. Outside of Scripture, there are no apostles. You need to get that. Apostles knew Jesus. They had the authority to convey God's word. And it was demonstrated with signs and wonders. You see that in the book of Acts. If there are apostles living today, that means they could add to the Bible. Follow me on that? You can't be an apostle. I can't be an apostle. No one can be an apostle except for those guys. Make sense? You can have apostle, apostleship gifts, and what I mean by that are apostolic gifts. And I mean it's more like an entrepreneur or a church planner, but you're not an apostle. So when Peter makes a statement, he said, I have the authority to tell you this. So get ready, you exiles. Get ready, you Christians. We're going to express to you some truth. And he starts off in verse 2, and he says this. Notice this. I love what he says. He begins this. Those of you who are Christians who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Now stop here. What he's conveying here is that before time began, God knew you. And as believers, God chose you. And the ramifications of that is that you have an extreme and great value. Before you were a twinkle in your father's eye, before time began, God was working on your behalf. Regardless of your background, regardless of what he knew was going to happen to you, listen, he knew how you were going to mess up. But in the midst of that, you have profound value. The source of our salvation is not in us, but it's in Him. You need to understand that. 
Because when we begin to base our salvation, us knowing Christ, us finding favor in God's eyes, us being valued by God in us, in our decision-making, in our choices, in our processes, and all that stuff, the value is less. And it goes back and forth. But when the value of our salvation is in God, that's much more profound, people. You follow me on that? All of us have had those moments in our life where we feel like we don't have value, right? Every one of us. We feel less than. We feel like we can't measure up. But here's what's so beautiful about the gospel. And this is what Peter's communicating first and foremost. He's saying, look, you, children of God, who are highly esteemed and have great value and great worth to the Lord, because your salvation is a work of him, not you. You see that? The fortification of your faith is not you. The fortification of your salvation is not you. It's God. It's 100%. Any drifting from that puts the ball in our court. And Believe me, you don't want that, right? The source of your salvation is the Lord. Your value is not in you, but in Him. And He is in you. Get me? Several years ago, my first church I got to serve in full time was First Baptist Church of Waynesboro, Georgia. And if you know anybody ever been to Waynesboro, I mean, that is a couple of us. It's in the middle of nowhere, right? Loved it. Uh, I was a single guy. Uh, Sarah Beth and I were dating seriously, later on got engaged. Uh, and and then I, we got uh, married. As soon as they built the Walmart, we got married. Uh, and uh, <laughs> remember that uh, it was on the front page paper they had all the band come out from the high school I mean it was a big deal to have Walmart there um, they still had a TGNY when I went to work there that's, that's, that's how old and how rural this area some of y'all know what I'm talking about but I moved to this area uh, one of the few single people in the area and everybody in the church felt bad for me because I couldn't cook so every day it seemed like they were bringing me a casserole or something to eat gained 25 pounds it was wonderful and um uh, and just a beautiful, a wonderful community, but it was staunchly southern, staunchly, staunchly south Georgia, very rural, uh, very unique, but the church was incredible. Very traditional context. Now, in this community, there was an organization called Operation Mobilization, which is a missions organization. And one of its headquarters was in Waynesboro, of all places in the world. And they would distribute books, Bibles, Christian literature all around the world. And their main distribution point was in Waynesboro, Georgia. Sarah Beth worked there for a time with them as a missionary. And so while we were there, the people who were a part of that mission organization would come to our church. But they were just people from America. They were from all over, from Scotland, from Europe, different places in Germany, different places in South America. And they would come and be missionaries and work in this warehouse. And eventually they would attend and join our church here at First Baptist Waynesboro. Now, our Morning service was very traditional, but our evening service was completely contemporary. Uh, we'd do Lord's Supper every Sunday night, and we'd have a time of prayer and a little bit of teaching. And it was a wonderful experience because we'd sit in this basement of this church, nasty, dingy basement. We'd sit out in our chairs, and there was somebody with an out-of-tune guitar who couldn't sing good, singing, and then we'd take communion, then we'd pray, and guys, God was there. And during those times of prayer, I'll never forget, there was one young lady who had moved to Waynesboro recently, she spoke very little English, and we asked for people to pray. You could pray if you wanted to out loud. She stood up in her own native tongue, prayed. Now, to me, that's a work of God. 
Because you are in a community that would seem like, from first appearance, it would not accept that. Make sense? But you talk about embracing people like that. Because people in that church understood something. Let's go back to our point. That our so- the source of our salvation is in Him. Not in where we come from. Does that make sense? People have value, not because of who they are, but because of who He is. Do you understand your value? Do you understand how dear you are to the Father? How much you're loved? How much He works on your behalf? Do you get that? Your salvation is profoundly of Him. But there's another aspect of that. Keep reading with me on that in verse 2. Get this. It says, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, you're going to notice. Look at the screen there. Look at what it says. Not foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Do you see something there? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you see that? The Trinity is at place and at work in this moment. And what he's saying here, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, it means you have been set apart by God, meaning the source of your identity has changed. This is what makes you an exile. This is what makes you different, is that your citizenship is drastically different. The source, get this, of your identity is in Him. Because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit, because of what God has done in your life, things have changed for you. Things have changed for me. And the reason he communicates this and the reason we're talking about it this morning is that so many times we identify hardship with I'm cursed or God's removed his favor or something bad has happened or I've done something wrong or maybe the devil's out for me. Here's what you've got to understand. Many times the source of our issues and the reason life can be difficult is because you are a believer. Don't you want to be one? Right? Because you are a Christian, because your identity has changed, you're swimming upstream. That's why it's so important. We go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Notice what it says there again. Don't be surprised. Why? Because you're in exile. There is a language barrier for you and me. We're speaking different. Our citizenship is a different place. We're not Americans. Man, we're children of the king. You've been set apart. You've been placed in him. You get that? The source, and understand me, this is our second point, of your identity. It's what God has done. And for the people that 1 Peter has written to, they had to understand that being an exile meant they were set apart. Their identity had changed. But here's the problem, because we get to our third little thought here. Living that out, It's challenging, right? Because when everything seems like it's against us, we're trying to fortify our faith in knowing that our salvation is in the Lord. Fortify our faith knowing our identity is in the Lord. But to live that out knowing everything else is against us is challenging, right? Am I I the only one? Man, I've got to make these decisions. I've got to change my culture. Because I feel like inside of me, I mean, y'all watch cartoons growing up. It's like you had the angel and the devil on each shoulder. Y'all feel like that every day? It's like, do this. No, don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. It's like two people tearing me apart. One wants to do right. One wants to do bad. Am I the only one? Are y'all doing that too? Y'all do that? Everybody nod if you do. Okay, here's the thing. We all struggle with that. We all got our issues. And I feel like, man, it is so hard 
to listen to what the Lord wants me to do because I've got all these brain games going inside of my head and all these temptations and all these circumstances. You know, the source of our salvation is in Him. Our identity is in Him. But here's the thing. that We also have a source in our purpose. That's changed too. Because I want you to notice the last part of verse 2 there. Get this. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. You see that? Our purpose has changed once we know Christ. The source of our identity is in Jesus, but the source of our purpose, get this, throw that verse on the screen again, is to obey Jesus. You see that? Who struggles with that? Who struggles with that? It's hard. It's challenging. But here's, here's that last phrase of that sentence there. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. Don't skip over that sprinkled by his blood part. Because here's what it means. You can interpret that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. We don't have time to go there, but I want you to understand this. To be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus means that he died for you. His blood was shed so that when you ask him to come into your life, there is a coating of ransom, a coating of redemption that comes upon you. He had to pay the price so that you and I could live out our purpose. And because he's in you, you have the empowerment to obey him. You follow that? Because he died and rose from the dead, you are empowered to live for him. Because he's alive today, because his blood was shed, because he died on the cross, you are empowered. You have it within you to obey him. Without that, there is no way we can be obedient. That is a works salvation. And we're going to be spinning our wheels like a hamster on a wheel, trying to do right and constantly failing and going nowhere. You have to know Jesus. That's the reason is that when you're obedient, praise God. He's empowered you. When you're disobedient, I'm sorry, Lord, but praise God, I'm still yours. You get it? Go back. Your source of salvation is Him. source of your identity is in Him. And the source of your purpose is for Him. That's your joy. That's your life. So live it. Follow that? The ramifications are this profound. And as he begins to write this letter to these people who are about to deal with so much persecution and who, always are, who are already dealing with exile from the perspective of I'm, my identity's changed, I'm different, I'm living different, and I've been ostracized socially, understand this. Continue to be obedient. Why? Because it honors the Lord. How? He's going to empower you. That's it. Key to it is submission to Him. Daily, moment by moment. But here is the question. How, do I, how does this help me fortify my faith? Chip, you're saying fortify my faith by understanding the source of my salvation is Him. Chip, fortify my faith by understanding my identity is in Him. Chip, fortify my faith by understanding my purpose is to obey Christ. How does that help? Hear me on this. When you understand your source, you can understand how to fortify. You make sense? The closer you get to it, the purer it is. Because I want you to notice the last part of this verse, verse 2. After he says all this, he gives a traditional greeting. Grace and peace be yours in the abundance. What does that mean? That means when you know Christ, you've been lavished with grace. It's not of you, it's of him. And when you are of Christ, 
you have been blessed with peace. The hope is in the Lord, the grace is from the Lord, and the peace, that's the end game. That's what it's about. That's what you're given. The question is, do you have that peace? Now, I want to to define this in two ways as we wrap up. Some of us have that peace, but we've lost sight of it, right? We've wandered from the Lord. Maybe we've been disobedient to a place to where we've forgotten what the Lord has done for us. And others don't have this peace because we just simply don't know Jesus. When you grab hold of the totality of the fortification of Christ, there is grace and there's what? Peace. Do you have that? I'm going to give you three action steps this morning. We're going to get out of here. The first one is this. Trust him. Fortify yourself by beginning to trust him. What is it in your life that you need to trust him with? Because ultimately, to be of God in the foreknowledge of God, in your salvation, what is something you need to trust God with? I mean, do you trust him with the fact that he can heal you? And I'm not talking about physically, because that's easy. I'm talking about the hard stuff emotionally, right? Can he heal that? Can he redeem you? Do you know Jesus personally? Have you asked him to come into your life? Are you one of his kids? Do you trust him enough to say, he is going to become your spiritual avenue. He has become your father. He's going to forgive you. Do you trust him enough to hand over to him and things of obedience that you are you, you and our white knuckle grip on? Y'all with me on that? What do you trust him with? What actions? What do you need to trust the Lord with? Second thing I want to ask you to do is identify with him. Now this is a tough one because I'm going to just pick on students here for a moment. If you're a student here, it's a challenge, is it not? Because every time you walk through the doorways of your high school or middle school, it's like oh, everything pushes against you. And even if you're not a student, if you're an adult, it doesn't get much better, agreed? You just care less, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. When you choose to identify yourself with God, it is a challenge, but it is a joy. And there's an empowerment there. But more than that, have you identified yourself with him in baptism? Have you been baptized? That is an incredible step of faith and obedience that you need to take if you've never been baptized to demonstrate to the world that you know Jesus. He calls you and commands you to do that. If you haven't done that and you know Christ, number one, are you being disobedient? Number two, you've got to trust him with it. Get it? Third thing is simply this, live it out. What I mean by that is choices have to be made. Tough choices. Things to walk away from, things to give to him, things to stop doing. That's the challenge, right? Now, I want to take a moment before we wrap this up and share with you about one of the things I've been watching on Netflix because you all want to know that, right? <laughs> one of the things I love to watch on Netflix recently is something called, and hear me on this, something I want to check out, okay? It's called Great British Castles. I know you're going to go home right now and put it on your watch list, right? I'm total nerd with that kind of stuff. In fact, I, I, I bring my family, you know, they're sitting there. I want to watch Great British Castles. They either yell at me and say, no, I don't want to watch that. They leave. It's a win-win for me, you know. It's quiet. They go to a different place. It's wonderful. Nobody wants to watch this except me, but I love watching this stuff because it travels all over Britain, and it shows you different castles. Who doesn't want to watch that, right? Y'all love that stuff, right? Feel me on that? Here's the thing. I'm, I'm watching this stuff. In the first episode, they begin to do a documentary, an hour-long documentary. And, yes, I was engaged about Castle Dover. Now, let me give you a little history there. Castle Dover is located in Dover, England, in the region of Kent. And it is located at the narrowest part of the English Channel. So when people from mainland Europe and France would come to invade England, that's where they would invade. In fact, many people said in order to grab hold and conquer England, you had to conquer Dover. 
And so the Romans, when they first invaded, built this little structure there. And later on, other cultures and the English built onto it until now it's the largest castle in England. It is an amazing engineering feat. Y'all feel me on this. This is awesome. I know you're going to go home and watch it. They got things to where if you break through the first gate, there are holes in the ceiling to where they would pour like hot lava and tar. I mean, it would be awful, wouldn't it? But man, how cool is that? And then they got places and turrets and holes in the wall to where archers could go 180 degrees. At one time, there were 15 soldiers inside of this place, and they held off hundreds of people until they claimed victory for months at a time because it was so well fortified. Is that cool? Everybody say yes. It was incredible. I mean, it's amazing what that fortification did, and it protected the whole island of England. They maintained their identity. There was another castle. It was spent, uh, spent so much time building this construction. The engineering was incredible. The wall was thick. It was high. And they had different types of torrents and different types of towers and all types of stuff. It was beautiful. It had a moat around it. But as soon as the waves came in, the sand castle went away. Which castle do you live in? Have you built one that gets destroyed with a breeze or the wave? Or are you sitting in one that stands the test of time? Where is your fortification? Is it in the source of God, in the identity of the Spirit, and in the purpose of the Son? Or is it in yourself? This morning, some of you need to turn to Jesus because your sandcastle is about to fall apart. Some of you who know Jesus need to recognize your castle is Christ and nothing else. But whatever the Lord is leading you to do this morning, take that step of faith. On the Connect card you were given, there's a couple of boxes, and one says, I need to know Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, if you don't know you're going to make it to heaven, listen to me, you need to check that box, and you and I need to have a conversation. I'll be calling you. Second thing is this. The other one says, I need to be baptized. Some of you need to make that step and be identified with Christ. And the third one, I'm going to ask you to do this, okay? Some of you in this room, hear me on this. I love you, but I'm going to come at you hard. It's 2019, and that's one of my things this year, all right? Some of you in this room sit and do nothing. And it's time to start serving and getting in a life group. Y'all with me on that? You need to check one of those boxes and get engaged. Y'all with me? When you do that, growth happens. You follow me? You've got to activate your faith to grow your faith. Follow me on that? So which box do you need to check? Let's take, let's, let's take a time and pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope we have in you. And I pray, God, in each one of our lives, and as we live that out and attempt to live that out in every way possible, I pray, God, that you would move in us, strengthen us, guide us, and direct us. Father, there are those who are here that are wrestling with salvation. Pray, Father, they find their faith fortified by asking you to come in their life. There are those of us in here, Father, that are struggling with, Lord, just stuff and need to identify themselves. And I pray, Lord, they take that step of faith to find the strength to identify themselves as one of yours at school, at work, at home, to be baptized. And there are those of us in this room, Lord, that need to take a step of faith to serve, to be in a life group, and to do what you tell us to do, Father. So take, give us the strength that we need in order to do that. Father, you are good, you are powerful, you are just. You are holy. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.